This morning, I hope you had a good week. I know it's uh, definitely gotten colder over the last couple of days, so hopefully you're staying warm. Uh, I've had several of you, not to draw attention to it, but obviously when uh, you're used to me, I guess, wearing a, a coat and a tie, and I come and I pull over in a bow tie, that draws some attention, and I've had several people... Uh, let me just say this... <clears throat> Those of you that are parents will know where I'm coming from with this. Kids make you do some crazy things. They make you do things that you once said you would never do, right? Or thought you would never do. And So back Father's Day, this was my Father's Day gift. And I told, uh, Sandra had kind of prepped me that that's what Graham and where that idea came from. Listen, five-year-olds have an imagination like you wouldn't believe. We got an email from his teacher this week saying, look, in all of my eight years of teaching, I've never seen a kid do this. And I'm going, oh, God. <clears throat> oh, my. My kid is that kid. Well, it was a picture. He was playing in uh, uh, center. They have centers. And uh, he was playing house. And on the table, he set up his computer. He had a keyboard, a real keyboard, his computer screen was a baking pan, a coffee can to put his pencils and his scissors and stuff like that in, and then his mouse was a crescent roll. That's, that's pretty impressive, I thought. But anyway, so this was what he wanted to get me for Father's Day. And so I told Sandra, I said, I don't want one of the fake ones. I want a real one. I want to, I want to be able to tie it. And so... Sandra, I brought it down this morning. I said, hey, I could wear this, but I don't think I've got enough time to tie it. You ever try to tie a bow tie? Holy smokes. I had to get on YouTube to figure that one out. <laughs> I got this thing the first try this morning. And so I thought, you know what? It's meant to be. It's meant to be. Well, kids will uh, certainly, they, they cause you to do some crazy things. You know, we're going to be talking about John chapter 3, verse 16. One of the most famous verses, one of the most well-quoted verses of, of all time. And I hope to bring a little bit of a different light, different perspective on that verse this morning. I wanted to read you real quick, though. Uh, I found this. Uh, some churches, uh, before children's church, the pastor will come and he'll sit and he'll invite the kids down and he'll do a little children's sermon and I found this the other day a pastor brought the kids down and uh, he reached into his bag and he pulled out an egg and he held it up and he showed the kids and he said hey what do you guys think is in this egg and one kid just emphatically raised his hand jumping up and I know I know I know I know obviously the preacher was thinking okay this kid's gonna think you know or say a chicken and the kid says nothing of that sort he said pantyhose Now, obviously, me being a man, I have no idea what that means, but you women must have gotten that one, right? All right, so good, good. Uh, guys, for you, that was for the women. For you guys, um, I said many moons ago there were three things that I just did not get into, and uh, one of those was hunting. Well, Graham has gotten into hunting and he loves to go hunting now and 
uh, could care less if we shoot anything. He just wants to carry his BB gun and be out in the woods. So the other day I went, I did not tell him that I was going, but I went one morning, uh, Thursday morning. I went Thursday morning and sitting in a blind and had three cutout windows and was sitting there overlooking a field of about 15, 20 acres, just open field, you know, and uh, behind me I hear something. I'm going, man, I wish that bird would shut up. It is annoying. And I turn around and look, and about 50 yards in the woods are two doe sitting there. And I'm going, boy, that tells you what I know about hunting. I didn't even know a deer made that sound. Had no clue that it made that kind of sound. So I just sat and I watched them and had, had a good time doing that. And uh, Sandra asked me, she said, how in the world are you going to find time to go hunting as busy as you are? And I said, well, Sandra, I can do that. And, and I can carry this right here. And, and I can just sit in peace and quiet and study. And and so that's that's what I did. Part of that time was, was sit and I studied. And I've been chewing on this verse, John 3.16. One, one verse that, that you as a child, me as a child, we were taught. It was just engraved and etched in our hearts and our minds. And, and even a non-believer, if you ask them, is there a verse of Scripture that, that you know or can quote, they're probably going to say John 3.16. Well, this, is, this has been on my heart, and, and I think for a reason. As we've been going through this gospel series of messages, we're going to conclude that today with, with one of the most famous verses that, that we know. And, and John chapter 3, verse 16, and had a conversation with a guy over at Anderson on Wednesday for lunch, and man, it was, a, it was a great conversation, and we were just wrestling with this idea of did God die, or did Jesus die for everyone? Was His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for everyone? It's widely debated, depending on who you read and who you study from a, a scholar standpoint a theologian standpoint. And so coming down 24 back home Wednesday afternoon, I thought, you know what, I've got tonight ready to go. and I've got my questions ready to go. We're going to study Acts chapter 9. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw that question out to our youth and see what they say. And if you, you know our youth, there are times where you can say something to them or ask them a question, and it's not a rhetorical question, but they take it like it's a rhetorical question, and they say nothing. Like they look at you like you're a dummy. But I throw that question out, and we spent the entire time Wednesday night talking about that. And each student saying yes or no. And when they answered yes or no, they had to give me a reason why. And I told them, I said, tonight I'm not going to tell you where I stand because I plan to do that Sunday morning. But I don't want them to believe what they believe because I tell them that. But I want them to believe because they're convicted by Scripture. That's why they believe what they believe. And not by just because what I say or what I tell them. So this morning I, I hope to do that in some light. don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because I, I believe Scripture is clear. And, and it clearly communicates that. But John chapter 3, verse 16. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to read from this morning. And as always, we're going to back up a little bit and talk about chapter 2 because we need to know where Jesus is coming from and who He's having this conversation with and why. 
And then we'll skip forward a little bit and talk about chapter 4 and even go into chapter 5 just a little bit. But John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for the gift of life. God, we are humbled by the fact that the very breath we breathe is a gift from You. And at any moment, at any second, we know and realize that that could be taken. So God, this morning, it's my prayer that as we look into Your Word to study Your Scriptures, God, that You would empty our hearts, You would empty our minds. And Father, You would help us to zone in on where You would have us to be and what You would have us to learn. God, it's so easy to take a Scripture like this and just assume that we've known it all of our lives, we've quoted it all of our lives, and skip by some very important and practical teachings that we can learn from John 3, 16. So this morning, God, I pray that you'll do just that. Teach us. God, walk among us this morning. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. God, as always, I pray that you would give us a stronger desire today than yesterday to know you more. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You know, you go into a Google search and you look at most quoted, most memorized, most familiar verses in Scripture. And you're going to find a top five list. You're going to find a top ten list, maybe. And somewhere in there, depending on who the writer is, and most of the time they're going to put their favorite verse at the beginning, but you're going to find that John chapter 3, verse 16, is one of those verses. It's also considered the gospel in a nutshell. And that's what I love about this particular verse is we're going to back up to John chapter 2 and look at John's writings there. And and as you begin to read John chapter 2, and I encourage you guys to do this as we study John chapter 3, verse 16. But go back and read in John chapter 2 and you'll begin to see in John chapter 2 in the very beginning that Jesus turns water into wine. Remember, he's at the marriage ceremony, at one of the marriage ceremonies. And that's the very first miracle that he performs. And he tells his mother, he says, wait a minute, it's not time for for me to be revealed. The person that I am and what I came to do, it's not time for me to be revealed. But he turns the water into wine, the very first part of chapter 2. And so then you kind of fast forward and uh, you see in chapter 3, the first eight verses or so begins this, this conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has has come to Jesus, it says in the first couple of verses there, that he came to Jesus. They were there uh, for the Jewish Passover. 
the, the Passover festival. They were they were there in Jerusalem, and 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 during that time, this this man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee at the time, came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. He was intrigued. He had seen some of Jesus's teachings. He had heard Jesus's teachings. He had seen Jesus and he wanted to know more about who Jesus was. And so the Bible says that he came to Jesus by night. And I, and I stopped and I thought, man, how many people do we know or how many of us can relate to that? That he wanted to know more of who Jesus was, but he didn't want others to know that he wanted to know more about Jesus. So he traveled to Jesus by night so no one would see him. How many are like that? That, that we want just enough of Jesus that we can feed ourselves and convince ourselves that that's just enough? but it allows us to hide it from others so that others don't see that we love Jesus, that we strive to know Jesus. So we do it in secrecy. Is that a faith at all? Is that a desire to know Jesus more at all? And so to, to me, as I read through this, it would have been so easy for me to read through that and not even think a thing about that, but I think that's important even in today's time. Because we have so many people that think that they can just get just a little bit of Jesus. Just, just to make them feel good. And that's enough. It don't quite work that way. But nonetheless, something was stirring in his heart. He wanted to know more of who Jesus was. And what he was all about. And so we don't know if the reason why he traveled by night was because he didn't want to get found out. We didn't know that it might would have hurt his reputation or his business or, or for whatever reason. In verse 2 it says that he came to Jesus by night. And Jesus welcomes him in and, and he welcomes in this, this conversation that begins to unfold as he begins to talk to Nicodemus. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. So he recognizes Jesus and who he is. And the reason for that is because he says, no one could perform the miracles or the signs that you're doing if God were not with you. And here's what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this absolutely blows Nicodemus' mind. He is floored by that comment. Because he goes on to ask Jesus, he says, Now wait a minute, I'm, I'm old. How can someone old go back into my mother's womb or their mother's womb and be reborn again? And here's what Jesus begins to tell him. It's, it's not a physical act of being reborn, but it's an act of the heart being regenerated. That's what it is. Has nothing to do with you physically being reborn, but it has everything to do with the condition of your heart. 
Haven't we been talking about that? It has everything to do with your heart. And so, as this story is unfolding, we see that Nicodemus is just intrigued by this. He's taken back by this. And in verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. You know, I think about Nicodemus. This was a man who was well versed, was well educated in the law. He knew it very well. So well that Jesus tells him in verse 10, you're Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. How many people do we know that are similar to Nicodemus? They seem to say the right things. They seem to, to know all the right things. They seem to teach the right things. But when it comes down to it, there's one element missing in this whole picture. And it's the heart. It's the heart. One scholar went on to sum this whole conversation up with just a couple of sentences. And I want to read that to you. He says, Our Savior spoke of the necessity and nature of regeneration or the new birth. And at once directed Nicodemus to the source of holiness, which is the heart. Birth is the beginning of life. To be born again, it is to begin to live anew. We must have a new nature, new principles, new affections, and new aims. That's where this conversation was heading. That's where it's going. And then, right nestled right in the middle of this whole conversation, we have verse 16. One of the most well-memorized, most quoted, most popular verses in all of Scripture. I'm confident, I don't think I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I'm confident Larry's not here, and there may be some of you other guys in here that are Gideon's, but as you know, the, the Gideons put Bibles out all over the place. All over the place. And it's Psalm, Proverbs, and the New Testament. I, I'm, I'm convinced that if they had an Old Testament version that they put out with something from the New Testament, they would simply put the Old Testament and then John 3.16. And that's it. Because John 3.16 is the Gospel. That's it. It is the Gospel message in a nutshell. And so right smack in the middle of this conversation, Jesus drops this in in verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
That first word ought to cause us to stop and think for just a second. For. What for? Why? Why does Jesus start off with that word for? Well, here's why. Because of sin. That's why. Because of sin. So why did God send His one and only Son? So that we could have eternal life if we believe? Because we're sinners. That's why. Because we're sinners and there's no other way to be uh, forgiven or have that atonement for sin other than God sending His Son. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. But, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Think about that. The Creator of all things. You see, I've, I've been thinking about this all week. That, that even in our lives today, in, in the busyness of, of our lives today, there are some things that, that are of no relevance to us. Like we look at some things, we look at some areas in our lives, we look at some people around us, and whether we say it or not, by our actions we tell them or that thing, that it's insignificant. That it's so small that it's insignificant. And I look and I read that verse and, I, and it says, God so loved the world. That tells me right there that it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's significant. Because God is the creator of all things. You see, there's nothing that we have, that we see, that we're a part of that God did not create. So that tells me that if He created all things, then that means all things are significant. We need to understand that today. We need to understand that today, that all things are significant because they were created by God. This is God talking to us here. Telling us that He loves us. You know, He's the very definition of love. He's it. He is the very definition of love. You want to know what true love is? You want to know what true love looks like? Study the person and nature of God and you'll find out. Because He is love. God is love. Without God, there is no love. Love has no meaning. Without God, love has no purpose. But because God so, so, that, that means if, if you study in, in the Webster Dictionary, if you go and you look that up, that means to such a great extent that God so, to such a, a great extent, loves us. 
we are invited to better understand what true love is and what true love is all about. Because God loves us to such a great extent. When we see God's love for all, we see God's love for each. When we see God's love for all, we see God's love for each. And when we see God's love for each, our perspective of God's love for us is brought to life. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's love. That is love. That God so loved the world. And here's the thing that every day, every single day, it should bring us to our knees. It should bring us to our knees. It should humble us every single day that God so loved us. You know the rest. That He sent His one and only Son. What love. What love is that? You know what God said when He looked down and He saw the sin of the world and He saw the sin nature within the man? He looked down and He said, You know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. We're talking about the Creator of all things, the Creator of the universe. Like that could have fixed the sin nature of man and forgiven all sin. But He said, You know what? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And whatever it takes is the shedding of blood, my own blood, my one and only Son. That's what it takes. And so he looked down and he said, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Now listen, I've had conversations with people, I've talked to people, I've been in meetings where people have made that comment. So much so that sometimes it's cliche because they'll just say, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to get off on a tangent. I'm not going to chase rabbits this morning. But I want to ask you something. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Listen, individually, personally, to know God, to live for God, to serve God faithfully. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Listen, I'm not talking about just waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to read your Bible just to get a check mark and go about your day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you coming to church on Sunday mornings just so you can get your little check mark and go about your week and do whatever you want to do and come back the next Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not doing whatever it takes. That's doing whatever it takes to please the people around you. And to please that little consciousness that, that's here and here, saying you've done just enough. You've done nothing no different than Nicodemus when he traveled by night because he didn't want to get found out. Now there's nobody any good. 
I'm talking about, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to sacrifice? Listen, I don't believe Jesus is ever going to ask us to sacrifice our kids. I'm not saying that at all. But if you had to, would you? Well, that draws you back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? And Abraham... what God asked him to do. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Listen, what if, what if we as a church, I'm talking from our oldest member to our youngest. I'm talking from our oldest member to our youngest. What if we step back with a perspective that we're going to do whatever it takes. What does that look like? For everybody, that looks different. But for everybody, that means doing your part. That means doing your job. That means doing what you're called to do. Boy, could you imagine what this church what this town, what this community would look like if we all said, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. God did just that. God did just that. When He looked at the sin nature of man, He said, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it takes me sending my son to take on the form of man and the sin nature of man to die. An accused death that he did not deserve so that my children have eternal life. Kids make you do crazy things sometimes, don't they? Wow. That God would send His Son, His one and only Son, to die. This goes back to the question I asked Wednesday night. <clears throat> His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Did some little research, some studying on the definition of whoever, and whoever says any person at all. You want to know who Jesus died for? I'm going to tell you. Everyone. Everyone. In my opinion, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a theologian. Don't claim to be, never will be. But I can tell you that. That I believe He died for everyone. Because I believe that's the very definition of love. True love. That there's not just a select few. There's not just 
a little group here or there, but it's everyone. That is true, unconditional love. John 3, 17, if, if you read just past in that next verse, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save who? The world through Him. There's people outside of this world. I don't know it. That's everyone. I don't know how else you could look at it. There's some that do, and that's fine. That's everyone. I wanted to fast forward. John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Whoever hears my word, whoever, that means all, that means anyone, that means everyone that hears my word and believes, and believes. Listen, you've got a choice to make. Now I believe that God's love is so compelling And the story of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection is so compelling that you'll get to a place in your life where you can't help but to know Jesus. You just got to know Him. And you, you have no other thing to do than to believe in Jesus. I believe that. I believe that God gives you that choice. And I believe that it's more than just an agreement. I believe that Nicodemus was there. I believe that he was in a place in his life where he wanted to know more about Jesus. It was just a simple matter of the heart and understanding God's incredible love for each individual. That God simply came to the table and He said, you know what, I'm laying it all out right here. I'm laying it all out on the line for you. You realize that? Man, this verse has taken on new meaning for me. That God literally walked to the table and He said, all right, for Mac... I'm laying it all out on the line. For each and every single one of you, even for those outside of these walls that we see out in our, in our city, in our town, that we look at and we say, oh, they're insignificant. They're, they're of no value. They're of no worth. You know what? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, they are. You know why? Because I died for them. They are significant. They are significant. Who are we to look at them and say they're not? When Jesus said, yeah, they are. Because I gave my life for them. I gave my life for them. The penalty that you and I deserve, Jesus paid. Jesus covered. Jesus took care of that penalty. He even goes on in chapter 4 and he's in Samaria. He goes up to Samaria, remember, and he sits down with the lady at the well and he asks the lady for a drink of water. 
And she says, why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to talk to me. Because there was this strife between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus tells her, lady, if you only knew, if you only knew, because if you were to ask me for a drink of water, I'd give you living water. Do we realize that God did something for us that we can't do for ourselves? God did something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And He is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. All we have to do is come to Him and believe. And believe. And allow this verse and this Bible, God's Word, to radically transform our lives. Listen. One guy came over from England to the U.S. and he was speaking to a college group. He was lecturing them and speaking to this group of of seminary students. And a question was asked to this theologian. What is the most profound thought that ever occupied your mind? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. And I don't mind sharing this with you. A minister's mind is a wild thing, I'm telling you. It's, it's a sickness. It's an illness. Constantly thinking about Scripture. Constantly thinking about messages. Mark can tell you probably driving down the road, ordering at a restaurant doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, you're constantly thinking about a message and God speaking to you. But what, what is the one thing that occupies your mind? And he answers, he said, Jesus loves me for this I know because the Bible tells me so. That's a little children's song. You see, we try to make this thing so complex, so complicated, and we muddy the water when it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And he goes on to tell him, you may go very, very deep in theology, you may become a scholar, you may become a philosopher, but you'll never understand anything more profound than to understand that God loves you so much that He gave His Son the Lord Jesus Christ, for you. That's the gospel this morning. That's the gospel. As we wrap up this morning, that's the gospel. Do you understand that this morning? Do you understand that that's God's great love for you? That's God's great love for your co-worker? That's God's great love for your spouse? That's God's great love for your brother or your sister? That's God's great love that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins so that you and I could have eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank You so much for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge that lies within it. 
Most of all, God, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who You sent. Out of Your great love for us, You sent to die on the cross for our sins. A death, a penalty that we could not pay. God, because of Your great love for us, You sent Your Son. The most perfect gift, the greatest gift ever known. To be that payment. Father, I pray there's somebody, maybe there's more than one, but God, someone that You speak to this morning. God, that needs that gift. That needs the realization of that gift, God. That that the life-changing, transforming message that lies within the Gospel. God, shape our perspective. Shape our minds, our hearts, our souls, God, to be more like You. Father, have your way walk among us. May your spirit fall heavy on this place right now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.